We cannot let Christmas go by quite yet, can we? Today we will combine thoughts of Christmas and the future year to come shortly. Thoughts of the new year and how to live thereby. The theme for today, in summary, is four passions that I suggest that we live by. We'll start with these and we'll end with these. Passion number one, renewed passion for Jesus our Savior. Number two, renewed passion for the Word of God. And number three, a passion for lost souls. Number four, never forget to have a passion for the underprivileged. That's what Jesus did. If we do these things with pure motives and an open mind to Jesus, we will not go astray. We will walk our pathway on this earth and end up in the kingdom of God. Melody Rushman is an editor of the student newspaper at Andrews University. And she wrote an editorial recently that fortunately I was able to obtain. It brings to us the reality of the circumstances of Jesus' birth. It was not at all like we so often picture it on Christmas cards and in song and verse. It was far different. Let me quote from her editorial in the student newspaper. She pens these words. This tension between celebration and weariness is actually, I think, a natural part of Christmas. Mix the cheer of the holiday season with a hint of fear, loneliness, and sadness. They both acknowledge the warmth and the togetherness of gathering with loved ones and the cold darkness that lurks outside. If you push aside the elementary school pageants and the nativity scenes and take a second look at Christmas story, you'll, I think you'll find a rather grimmer than you can imagine. An oppressed nation was under foreign rule when Christ was born. A frightened teenage girl is accused of adultery nearly loses her fiancé and faces a mysterious pregnancy, trusting only in the words of an angel. Her baby is born in a filthy cave in a slobbering feeding trough with no midwife or doctor. Instead of excited relatives, her first visitors are shepherds, outcasts from society who sleep outside and smell awful. Soon she, Joseph, and the newborn baby will have to flee to a foreign country to escape murder, and they'll leave a massacre of children in their wake. It's no wonder that every time angels appear in the story, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. The first Christmas wasn't jolly, it was terrifying. And yet when Mary found out she was pregnant, she did not cry out, but sang a song. My soul glorifies the Lord, Luke 1.46. And Isaiah prophesied that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, Isaiah 9, verse 2. And to the lowest of the low in a backwater country that would face decades more of oppression and suffering, the angel choir sang peace on earth, goodwill to men, Luke 2, verse 4. My friend Mercedes, a self-proclaimed Scrooge and Grinch, has often said that one of the reasons she dislikes Christmas so much is the hypocrisy. 
we, quoting from Mercedes, we act as if everything is magically better for this arbitrary couple of weeks when it isn't. There's no peace on earth. There is no, so, I'm sorry, even in the so-called inspiring stories about World War I, where the soldiers actually laid down their weapons on Christmas Eve and had snowball fights and sang songs like Silent Night, they still go back to killing the very next day in the rest of the war. What was the point of pretending they weren't for a day? The thing is, I almost entirely agree with her. Pretending that everything is magically better from December 1 to December 25 is foolish, sometimes even insulting. Try telling a kid whose parents just got divorced that Christmas is a time for togetherness and love. Make sure you wish happy holidays to the homeless man sitting outside Macy's when you pass by. And if you happen to have a brother, girlfriend, or parent who's going to be spending Christmas in Iraq, assure them that Christmas brings peace on earth. The important distinction I would like to make, however, is that Christmas is not merely a party, it's a promise. The reason Mary gave thanks and the angels sang is that in the midst of bleak despair, hope was born, incarnate, the coming of Christ to this earth was the wildest, maddest, and most glorious upending of expectations in human history. In sorrow, joy, and darkness, it became light. We do not celebrate Christmas because our songs and gifts and gatherings, as beautiful as they may be, can change the world. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came and was born to die. This Christmas, as you face loved ones with terminal disease or broken relationships or financial hardships, or even just the close of a stressful year, I urge you to remember the message of the angels, not that peace is on earth, but that because Christmas looks to the future, it will be here when Jesus comes. This Christmas, I urge you to look backward and remember the promise of Bethlehem, but then look forward to the proclamation of the angels. Do not be afraid. Peace will be on earth one day soon. On behalf of all students and movement staff, Merry Christmas. Here's to many more. Thus ends her editorial. I also noted an old Signs of the Times that Gene Shelton wrote way back in 1978. I think it would be good for us to ponder. She pens these words. You must no longer be afraid. The message of the angels to the shepherds is for us today. There was no nurse available to wrap him in a warm, clean receiving blanket when he was born. Few even cared that God had come to their little world. Hardly anyone went to the barn to see him lying on a pile of scratchy straw. People just could not visualize God being born a baby in a barn. Surely God would never stoop that low. They thought God was like themselves, selfish and ambitious. When he came, they thought with his coercive power, he would conquer all their outward foes, the Romans, hunger, disease, and death. But not their inward foes. It was a dark night out there around the barn, a fitting symbol of the world's morbid condition. Night can symbolize different things, wickedness, death, and fear, Earth had them all when Jesus was born. Wickedness, people then were so wicked 
that to them goodness was badness. Badness was goodness. By that we mean the more severe God appeared to be, the holier he seemed. The less forgiving and the less righteous. When a person became sick, he or she was considered a great sinner. Under fearful punishment from an angry God, the depression that this produced caused many to just give up into hopelessness. Death was the final act, they thought. They believed God to be harsh and vindictive. To them he was a fearsome being. He made laws for their bondage. To be afraid of God had actually become virtuous, a part of religious piety. But the night of their darkness was suddenly shattered by a light that overwhelmed the shepherds on that Judean hillside. Terrified, the shepherds clung to the ground. What was happening? Had the Messiah come to destroy them? Had God come to devour them in his wrath? Gradually, their eyes became accustomed to the light. The shepherds saw angels in the sky. Just above them, they said, The angels said, Do not be afraid. For now I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is to all people. Luke 2.10 The words, Stop being afraid, may also be translated, You must no longer, no longer be afraid. They suggested the shepherds that they understand They had been afraid of God before. So they no longer need to be that way. And could it be that the angel's message today in the city of David there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord? Luke 2.11 Could it be that this angel's message was meant to dispel more than simply their fear or or the brightness? Also was meant to dispel their fear of God? This was not just for the shepherds, but it was for all who are afraid of God, even to our day. The message was the good news of the gospel. You must no longer be afraid of your God. He has become one of you in order to reveal himself to us. All through his life on earth, he demonstrated God's character. When he healed the sick, he was teaching people that God cares for them when they are sick even sin sickness, and longs to heal them. When he was holding a little child on his lap, he was showing that God loves all people, all ages, from children to the old. When he ate with sinners, he identified himself with their needs and interests. He was revealing God's love for them. Then in total selflessness, he gave himself up on a cross to prove that there is no height nor depth to which God's love will not go. All Satan's lies tied together could not reach both ends of the cross. Let me say that one more time. All Satan's lies tied together could not reach both ends of the cross. Satan's lies fell shredded at his feet because the universe no longer believed Satan. God has asked his followers to carry the good news about himself to everyone All must hear and decide for or against him before Jesus comes back. Matthew 24, 14. For many long centuries, the good news has been given that it is, that is why it is called the everlasting good news. Matthew 20, I'm sorry, Revelation 14, 6. 
Because of the baby in Bethlehem, we no longer need to fear sickness, not even death, or the final judgment, or guilt, or shame. Jesus came to remove all cause for guilt and fear. So what is this good news? What is the best Christmas present anyone could possibly have? Let us turn to Scripture and ask, what does God do with our sins and our guilt? Please focus with me on that, what God says to us. If we do not believe these words from Him, we are on dangerous ground because we are telling God, you don't know what you're doing, God. First, from Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43, 25. Amazing. He is doing this for his sake. He wants us to be with him where he is. He says he will forget our sin, saying it never really happened. He also says to us, if they did not hear me the first time, I will say it again. For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. If you missed both of these promises, here's another one. Thou hast covered all their sin, Psalms 85, 2. He covers them up, cannot find them anymore. If you have missed the theme so far, here is more. Behold, for peace I have great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Remember, reminding ourselves these are inspired words from God himself to us. Here is more. He will have compassion up upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 If you missed that so far, here is more. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 103, verse 12. And there is still more. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return to me, for I have redeemed thee. Isaiah 44, 22. Never has an appeal from the Lord been more incredible. Jesus is linking this appeal to us from his cross on Calvary. Yet there is still more. Come now, let us reason together saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1.18 We could not ask for a better promise or present from Jesus himself. We must also realize when we come to Jesus just as we are, he never leaves us the same. His appeal is to us. The principle is, by beholding Jesus, we become changed. By beholding him, we become changed. So the best Christmas we could ever have would be to accept what God is telling us and appealing to us. 
We have just read this in His Holy Word. But then how should we respond to others once we accept what God has done for us? What is the salient point? Well, the following story tells it all. What Christmas is really all about. A group of young people were concerned about an old man that lived in their neighborhood. True story. They knew that he had been mean and snarly and reclusive all his life. They frequently would try to go visit him and finally did get inside his house, trying to encourage him and make friends of him. So they decided one more time to go and visit him. All the other times they had been rebuffed. And now he was quite ill, and they heard that he might be hopeless in living. They had prayed and talked with him on that time, but he appeared uninterested. But they very carefully laid a Bible on the bedside stand by his, by his bed. After they left, they had no idea what would happen. They thought nothing would happen. The man picked up the Bible, began to read the Gospel of John, He read about the lovely character of Jesus, the fairest of 10,000, the blessed Savior of the entire world. After a few pages, he became interested. After a few chapters, he seemed to be convicted. And by the end of the book, he was converted. And before he finished the Gospel of John, he was in love with Jesus. And he gave his heart to him. He died before the children came back professing faith in Jesus, his Savior. A few days later, his friends found a slip of paper tucked in his Bible, words that he had written there as he lay sick and dying. They were words of his own experience, of his own composing, right from the depths of his heart. The words were these, quoting now, I hope, I, I'm sorry, I have tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, the Bible says, is only Jesus. My soul is night, my heart is steel. I cannot see, I cannot feel. When light and life I must appeal in simple faith to Jesus. He died He lives, he reigns, he pleads. There is love in all his words and deeds. That is all a guilty sinner needs. Forevermore in Jesus, though some should sneer and some should blame, I will go with all my guilt and shame to Jesus. I will go to him because his name is above all names, Jesus. End quote. So the greatest Christmas gift we could possibly receive is to accept the promises we have read from Scripture this morning about what God does with our sin and guilt. Then we go forth. The greatest present we could give to others is to tell them about what Jesus has done for us and his salvation to the world. We end where we begin. How should we then live this coming year? Number one. Have a passion for Jesus, our Savior, like we've never had before. Number two, have a passion for his word and study deeply like we've never done before. Number three, have a passion for souls 
like we've never had before. Number four, have a passion for the underprivileged like we've never had before. And should we follow those rules? With that, we should never forget the words of Jesus, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Matthew 25, 45. The real Christmas is giving, not receiving, all year long until Jesus comes again. Our closing song will be by Mrs. Wallman. She sings, Until Then. The idea being, of course, that Jesus is coming back soon. And how should we live until then? Kindly bow your heads with me. Eternal Father, this morning we have looked anew at what really happened at Bethlehem. You came from your throne room to a bed of straw. This morning we have read from Scripture what you do with our sins and our guilt. We've also heard a story of an atheist who became a Christian just before he died, such as a thief on the cross. We've heard Carol giving us a story, a miracle story. We're so thankful for that story. Help us this year to go forth in service for others as you did when you were here. Help us not to forget We have new orders from you, a passion for Jesus like we've never had before, a passion for the Word of God, dig into the Scriptures like never before, a passion for souls who are lost, and Lord, a passion for the underprivileged. Jesus spent most of his time with these people. Lord, help us to never forget that we're on a pathway to the kingdom Help us to share our faith. And as we leave, help us again to remember we are entering the mission field. In your holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.